Just to catch up on last night a little bit for those who weren't with us and also to uh, move us ahead, uh, let me start off by saying we're talking about men, we're talking about men taking leadership, we're talking about the real manliness has got to do with prayer and the real leadership we need to take is in prayer. Congregational life requires it and uh, one of the characteristics of uh, congregational life is congregating. One of the characteristics of a gathering is that we gather. One of the problems of St Andrew's Cathedral is that we don't. Uh, we've got these certain sets of problems uh, about men, about prayer, uh, about gathering. We, we treat the, the cathedral building a little bit like the lift. You know when you get in the lift, uh, you stand in the middle of it. When somebody else gets in, you take half of it. When somebody else gets in, you take a third of it. When somebody else gets in, you take a quarter of it. And every time people get in a lift, you reorganise yourself so that you are equally spread across the lift. Because in a lift, you don't want to meet anybody. Well, you may, but people don't. And the kind of unwritten rule of lift environment is silence. As we go up there, some of you are sufficiently extroverted that that's not what you do. My friend John Chapman met Dick Lucas, really, in a lift. He just met him a few minutes before. They were going up to eat a meal, as is John's won't. And uh, John was in his larger state of life. John's the kind of man whose weight has gone up and down many times, and it was on the up. And uh, the lift was incredibly crowded, and... Dick was in one part of the lift, John's another part of the lift, everyone's squashed in. As the lift proceeds up to the, whatever it is, floor with a rotating uh, thing, there is this voice from the back which says, I'm thinking thin thoughts if that's any help. <laughs> At that point, Dick Lucas met John Chapman and he tells that story whenever he wants to explain his friend. But you see, lifts are about not saying anything not being a person, it's just... And when we come to St Andrew's Cathedral, that's what we do. We spread out evenly across the building. But the essence of Christian fellowship and church is gathering. It's getting together. It's, it's meeting. And so I'm reorganising the chairs in the cathedral uh, so as to get people to gather when we gather. Our architecture is all wrong. It's actually a Roman Catholic cathedral, it's, it's not technically Anglican, but it was built by Roman Catholic model of, uh, of uh, Mr. Pugin in England, who was a Roman Catholic leading architect in the 19th century who advised the Sydney Evangelical Anglicans how to build a Gothic building, which was designed, of course, for Catholic worship. So it actually works against us many of the time. It's a beautiful building. It, for what it is, it is. But it's not what we actually would ever build ourselves today. And so we mustn't use it like a lift and spread out. We've got to use it like a church and gather in. That's the nature of it. And so I really need some more leadership from the men to uh, move especially up to the eastern end, the George Street end of the building, and look down and help us work out how we can gather people in and not have people sitting in the balcony. Balcony sitters... Uh, apart from those who work very hard on PowerPoints and the rest, and uh, I want to give you know, the honour to those who do the labour, but balcony sickness are basically spectators. They're not part of the congregation. They're sitting up there watching what the congregation does. 
And that's not really being, we're not getting together when we do that. Uh, they do have more comfortable seats up there. But we're closing off the balcony. When we're absolutely chock-a-block full, well, we need the balcony. But if it's not chock-a-block full, and it's not except for Christmas and Easter, etc., we don't need the balcony. That's, that's a... And so we're trying, and of course we've got pillars problems and people sitting behind. So that's what all that movement of the church is about. A church will not grow once it becomes 80% full. That's the church growth statistics. Well, we've been 80% full in the way in which we've used the building for the last two years, two or three years, which is why we're not growing at, say, 10.30 service, and that's part of the problem. So do take lead. The second part of leadership I want to draw to your attention is what the women ask for. Over however long I've been ordained, 40 odd years, wives have told, complained about their husbands to me, often. But the two chief complaints they have uh, are right and wrong. Number one complaint, my husband hasn't got any friends. That's a very female way of thinking. Because female ways of thinking about friendship are deep and meaningful. Unless you're having deep and meaningfuls and processing nothing, then you're not actually got a friend. But there is a sense in which there's a truth that men need to create and maintain friendship, but it's got to be masculine friendship, not what the wives are expecting. And secondly, the wives misunderstand the importance of the wife for the male friendship. The second problem is a more worrying one that they consistently say, my husband won't take spiritual leadership in the home. He doesn't pray with us, he doesn't read the Bible to the kids, he doesn't, take, he doesn't articulate faith at home. That's a bigger worry, isn't it? Now, what happens in the home we want to see in church and what happens in the church needs to reinforce what happens in the home. So we need to actually create within the church life masculine leadership spiritually, prayerfully, and that should be reinforcing and reflecting what happens at home. I'm not encouraging men to go preach long sermons and beat up their wives and kids over the, the Bible, but I am saying you've got to set the pattern in the home life um, by having just not the wiggles, but, but uh, what was the other one that you had? Well, Mr. Buchanan in, in the CD. Uh, Thomas the Tank Engine doesn't really rate as Christian, though was created by a minister, if I remember correctly, or something or other. Yes, he was. It was a minister. That, an evangelical minister created Thomas the Tank Engine, an English evangelical. What else good thing can we say about him? Well, here you are. I've never picked up a gospel truth from Thomas the Tank Engine, but that most likely says I just haven't read it enough. Now... The plan I'm talking of that we start implementing, which we'll see in more detail after morning tea, is that we bully, push and, and, and uh, engineer you into a pattern of praying with each other. It's not that we're against praying with each other, we just don't have a social mechanism to do it. And men will be helped by having a social mechanism to do it. And so that's what this weekend will do for us. But before we look at how we do that, I think it's important that we get our minds around prayer, which is what this session before morning tea is going to be. So we'll, uh, I'll rabbit on about prayer here for a little while um, so that we can uh, uh, be in... Uh, I've just got the wrong notes, I may say. Uh, let me get the right ones about prayer. I've got the right ones now. Um, 
so that we know what we are doing when we are praying and aiming to do in prayer uh, with each other um, uh, is where we, I think, need to start here and then we will pray together in this room, though I'm going to suggest we do it by congregations. So a few minutes' time, you know, 20 minutes or so, we will break into groups, pick up your chair and, you know, uh, 8.30 you'll be over there and uh, 10.30 you'll be down here and 5pm we'll be over there and uh, the healing ministry will go with the 8.30 people. Is that what's going to happen? I think that's what's going to happen. All right? And we'll pray in, in groups about the concerns of the cathedral. So let's talk about prayer. First passage, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of the effects and consequences of prayer is that you'll be kept Christian. That is what is being said in verse 7. It is not saying you will get a sense of peace, you may, but it is saying that God's peace will keep you in Christ. And that's actually more important than having a sense of peace. Uh, it's really nice to be at peace within yourself and calm, but sometimes we shouldn't be. We sometimes it's a, yeah, we should be concerned and struggled and worried and anxious. That's a, not a necessary. But our anxiety must come under Christ, and how it comes under Christ is by prayer. And so look back to verse six. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. So whatever it is however small, however big, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's the essence of prayer. There's a whole set of words in the Hebrew and the Greek which are translated prayer. They all mean the same thing. That is asking. That's what they mean. Uh, you see several here. Supplications, requests. Right? Uh, they're just different ways of... And so by prayer, supplication and requests are just three different words which ultimately mean exactly the same thing, asking. What's the difference between requesting something and asking for something? No difference. It's the same concept, just two different words. And supplication is much the same. And so the, the nature and essence of prayer is asking for things. There's nothing wrong with asking God for things because when you ask God for things, you give him honour. You're saying, God, you would be willing to give this to me and you are able to give this to me. God's willingness and God's ability are his great character, his, great, his reputation. And so it's a good and proper thing. You honour God when you ask God for things. When you say, I don't need you, God, to look after me, you dishonour God. When you say, I need you to do this for me, you honour God. Now, one of the uh, joys of being parenthood is uh, little children. And one of the uh, most uh, difficult times is teenagers with girls uh, in particular, boys, uh, it's little boys. But one of the irritating times is between two and four. 
because there is nobody, and I'll be speaking on this tomorrow morning in church, there is nobody more arrogant and uh, difficult to deal with than a four-year-old. Their favourite phrase is, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And so often Christian men are like four-year-olds with God. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And you can't. At any moment you can be cut down by God for any reason, for any purpose. I was preaching on the meaninglessness of life and death and in Ecclesiastes to a man who uh, the next day went to see his doctor, uh, was diagnosed with cancer. Very successful, very effective, member of our society who was totally competent and confident in his life. But within 24 hours of hearing a sermon which he found slightly unbelievable because it was about death and meaninglessness, was diagnosed with the very reality of his death and meaninglessness. That we think we can when we can't, and we need to acknowledge that it is in God that we do anything and are able to do anything. And so we need to keep asking him. You'll notice that it says, with thanksgiving, because technically... Thanksgiving is not praying. Praying is asking. Thanksgiving is not asking. And that's why the Bible keeps on talking about pray with thanksgiving. That is, prayer is not just talking to God. Prayer is asking God for things. That's what prayer is. There's nothing wrong with talking with God, by all means. Talk with God over any and every issue. Tell him that you enjoy the trees. I mean, that's a good thing to do, that you like the football. There's nothing wrong with it. But prayer itself is asking God for things. And that's why we do it with thanksgiving. That is, prayer is faith spoken, faith articulated. See, I trust, I depend, I rely upon God. How do I ever tell God? How do I ever tell myself that I trust and rely and depend upon God? Well, whenever I ask him for something, the very activity of asking is relying upon him, is depending upon him, is trusting him. So prayer is faith in action. It's faith spoken. It's faith articulated. Now, let me show you a couple of errors about prayer. Come with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. A couple of quick errors about prayer. Very common ones. Verse 1. We've got some Bibles around the corner. Verse 1 of Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's the kind of rubric, the kind of text upon which the rest of this section is dealing. When you come down to verse 5, he addresses prayer. And when you pray, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, of course, when you pray, you mustn't be like hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who sees it, who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, 
For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Two errors. The error of the hypocrite and the error of the pagan. The error of the hypocrite is to pray in order to be seen. The error of the hypocrite is not to pray in the synagogue. The error of the hypocrite is not to pray in the street. The error is that he prays in the synagogue and in the street in order to be seen by others. It's, a, it's an error of the heart. That is, you're in much more danger of being hypocritical, praying publicly, than you ever will be praying privately. But that doesn't mean you never pray publicly. It just means there's a danger in praying publicly, that you can do it out of hypocrisy. You can do it to be seen. You can be do it to, to show off. You can do it in order that other people will be impressed by you. Now, brothers, I'm going to involve you and engage you in standing, not on the street corners, there's nothing wrong with George Street and Bathurst other than it's hard to hear each other. Um, standing in the synagogue, which is another word for church, standing in the synagogue praying with each other. There is a danger in this. The danger is hypocrisy. The danger is that we don't do it out of genuineness in speaking to God, but we do it in order to impress everybody else around about us. And you need to see that danger so that you will not fall into it. It's so easy to fall into it in so many different ways. Really is easy. When I was a young fellow, I had a terrific youth group leader. He was marvellous. He played Sheffield Shield cricket. He played golf with a single handicap. He was a great athlete. He was a terrific champion, schoolboy footballer. He was your every boy's dream kind of person to have. And he always was very big on, on, on prayer because at the end of the sermon, he would, you know, the, the minister would get us to bow our heads and pray. And then the minister would go back and announce the next hymn and we'd start singing it. But, but we'd all stand up to sing, but this fellowship leader, he'd stay praying. You know, the prayer time would continue. Uh, and so I noticed that over time, more and more people, including myself, stayed praying because that seemed to be a more spiritual thing than kind of getting up and singing the next hymn. And uh, more and more people prayed longer and longer. So he would pray through the first verse of the hymn and into the second verse of the hymn. And so more of us were down. In those days, we used to kneel on kneelers. And we were then reached the stage that the minister was kind of singing the first verse or two solo as the congregation was so moved by the sermons that were deep in I was about 14, 15 at the time. I didn't understand a word the minister said. I didn't have the faintest clue, which may be why they were praying as well. They hadn't understood either and they needed to pray. But I remember being on the kneeler and thinking, well, I've got to keep praying here, but I don't know what they're praying about and I don't know what I'm supposed to pray, but I'm not going to be the first person up. And so as you'd feel somebody along the kneeler get up, you'd think, oh, I can get up now too. But then you'd say, no, he's just shuffling, so I'll stay here a little longer, saying, please, God, help me to know what I'm supposed to pray for because I don't know what I'm praying for. But I don't want to be seen as unspiritual. And that is just classic hypocrisy, isn't it? Total hypocrisy. It's easy to manipulate and it's easy to be manipulated into hypocrisy. So however we pray with each other, it must be honest. It must be genuine. It must be sincere. I'm always worried about accountability programs because if your abiding sin is to tell lies, then being called upon to be accountable is a massive problem, isn't it? Because every time you'll say, well, actually, I've been telling the truth a lot lately. 
which is, of course, the biggest lie of all. You can't really work that way. In the end, it's what God. You're asking God because you depend upon God. You've got to keep a single motive. Secondly, the second error is to pray like the pagans. That is the Gentiles, the nations, the non-Jews, the people who don't know God, because the people who don't know God think they'll be heard for their many words. You're not heard for your many words. You're heard because the Father listens. It's because the character of God that we are heard. We're heard because we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're not heard because we've got many long prayers or they're complicated prayers or they've got wonderful flowery language or they've got lots of biblical references because God has clearly forgotten what he wrote in the Bible. So we have to remind him. We're not heard for our many words. And of course, you see, the hypocrisy that I spoke about a few minutes ago was a combination of hypocrisy and paganism. Because I thought that, that God would be listening because they were praying for such long times. Uh, we had a Korean pastor come join us about uh, 10, 15 years ago at St Matthias. Because there were more and more Korean students being converted. And it was terrific, really. It was really exciting. We started a Korean church, which continues to this day. It's one of the growing Korean churches in Strathfield. It's terrific. But we started up with a different pastor. And uh, when we introduced him to the staff team, uh, they were saying, well, you know, we've heard terrific things happening in Korea, as they are. Marvellous things. Korea is one of the most Christian nations in the world today. And is this because of the prayer mountain program where people were spending three hours every morning before breakfast uh, praying. Is that why Korea is moving into, into Christianity? And this Korean pastor laughed at us, actually. Um, it was very, it was, it was a great rebuke and a great laugh. He said, no, no, no. He said, that's because they've only been converted recently and they're still Buddhist in their thinking. They still think they're heard for their many words. You should know that. And terrific rebuke. You see, three hours in prayer doesn't get you anything more than three minutes in prayer or three seconds in prayer. Because what you get, you get because of God, not because you've been able to twist his arm, not because you've been able to manipulate him, not because you're able to impress him. God who lives in eternity is not altogether impressed by three hours. Ponder it, friends. You and I are impressed by three hours, but God isn't impressed by three hours. It is but a moment in time. A thousand years is as a day. A day is as a thousand years. Three hours is a nothing. And so we're not impressed. We mustn't try and impress God. Don't impress others. Don't impress God. <laughs> Ask what you need. That's what it's about. That's what prayer is about. Jesus then spells out how to pray in the kingdom prayer. Uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts. That prayer that we pray so often. He said, this is the nature of true prayer. It is to pray to God the Father in heaven. We approach him as our Father. How, do you, how did you ever ask your dad for something? That's how you approach God. I had a lovely dad. I know some of you don't have lovely dads. I had a lovely dad. And if I wanted something, I'd just ask him. And if he said no, it was always because it wasn't in my interest. And if he said yes, he gave it to me and I said thanks. And uh, I 
honour and love my dear old dad, who passed away some 10, 15 years ago now in his late 80s. But he was just a lovely, generous, kind man. And I was never embarrassed. I was never... I could ask him for anything. Uh, I remember asking for a car when I was a teenager and he sat me down and explained the economics of a car and then I asked for a motor scooter. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I, I could ask him anything. It just made... It was... And I always knew that it was my interests he had at heart and it was generosity that was in his heart. That makes it easy for me, I guess, to pray. When some of you have fathers that you really had difficulty with. But remember, the reason you have difficulty and the reason why it's such a problem to have a difficult father is because you know of the ideal. See, when a person treats you badly, a person treats you badly. But when your father treats you badly, it really hurts. Why? Because fathers should treat you well. And in one sense, other people should treat you well, but fathers should treat you better. When you don't have a generous, kind father, you're right to feel disappointed because there is an ideal that stands behind fatherhood. That ideal is God the Father. That's the one we're praying to. So don't let the bad father experiences turn you off approaching God the Father. Actually, let the bad father experiences help you understand how wonderful it is that you have a father in heaven to whom you can be asking anything, whatever it might be. However, as Christian men in particular, we should be praying for the coming of the kingdom. That's what the first half of the Lord's Prayer is, when God's name will be hallowed, when the kingdom will come and when his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we should pray for our participation in the kingdom. That is that we have the bread of heaven, the daily bread's a wrong translation, it's actually in this Bible, the ESV it has a footnote. Uh, the bread of tomorrow, that's what it is, that's the bread of life that we're praying for, and that we forgive our debts, uh, and that, we, that, that God will protect us from evil, leading us not into temptation, but delivering us from the evil one. In other words, we will participate in the kingdom. That's what we're asking. But notice how it says, give us, forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors, and verse 14 goes on, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That is, again, when men pray, we must live, lift holy hands, as I was talking about last night. The hands that are not fists, that are not argumentative, that are not quarrelsome. We pray in fellowship with each other, in harmony with each other. And if we're not willing to forgive each other, well, we mustn't expect God to be forgiving us. That's just that we're forgiveness people. And we've got to be consistently forgiving each other. Okay. What's prayer then? It's asking God. It's expressing our faith in God by asking him. And it can be straightforward, direct. Therefore, what I want us to learn to do is to pray simple, short prayers. This overnighter with us is about learning how to pray again in practice. I worked with John Chapman for two years, and John's a great preacher uh, and uh, a wonderful man and a very good boss. I, I really loved working with him. He was terrific. 
we had office prayer times and there was a secretary, there was me and there was Chapo. And at office prayer times, uh, Chapo would pray. Well, after about 10 minutes and we'd covered every known topic in the universe, he would uh, finish his prayer and we would say Amen. And then the secretary and I would look at each other to try and work out what else could we pray about. Because even when we gathered up prayer points, Chapo did them all and left us high and dry with nothing left. And so in the end, we had a little office revolt. And uh, Chapo was forbidden for praying first. He always had to pray last so that we had something to pray about before he led in prayer. It was the only way in which we could... We, we tried to just get him to only pray some things, but he just couldn't do it. He had to pray everything. So the revolt took place and he was forbidden from praying first. I hope, my brothers, that you have better discipline than Chapo in this regard. And I want to teach you how to go back into praying, because some of us have been praying for years. Some of us are men with the gift of the gab. Some of us aren't. We could actually help each other in our prayer life. And part of helping each other is stick to the point, pray one thing, say Amen, then have another prayer and say Amen, then have another prayer, rather than put every prayer that you've ever thought in into the one prayer. Give other people the opportunity to pray is part of it. But simple, short, one-sentence prayers encourage other people to pray. Whereas long, complicated, deep and meaningful prayers are really good in the secrecy of your bedroom, but not very helpful in the fellowship of others, if you get the drift that we're saying here. So, what do we need to pray about? Well, anything and everything. But I want us to spend some time praying about our city and its gospel needs and our cathedral and its ministry to this city and our cathedral and our building the congregation that we're in. So there's the topic of prayer for the next uh, 10 minutes or so in groups. So, all on board? You ask questions? Anyone got any queries, questions, the rest? Good, yes? How persistent? Yeah. You will not get it because you persist. But if you desire it, keep asking. So I asked my father, just think a moment, humanly, I asked my father for something, he says no. Well, that doesn't stop me going back and asking him again. He still says no, it doesn't stop me asking him again. But if I think I'm going to wear him down so that in the end he'll give it to me to get rid of me, that is not treating my father with respect. And my heavenly father's not like that anyway. I may add, my earthly father wasn't either. He would, after a certain period of time, say to me, Philip, you've said it enough. The answer's no, don't ask again. That's just being kind and teaching me something. But there's nothing wrong with asking. And there are certain prayers... I pray regularly. When I pray for my children, I pray much the same thing. I want them to continue faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ today and tomorrow and the next day. I'll keep asking for something that I've already been given. But I'll ask again for tomorrow and tomorrow and the next day. So just think in terms of how do you ask your father? Well, this is the Heavenly Father. That's who we're dealing with. 
Well, that's a, one of the dangers, isn't it? Yes. And sometimes we've got to be careful in what we're asking. Well, careful, we could ask for it, but we've got to recognise the stupidity of it. You know, I do want that third Rolls Royce. Why? You can only sit in one at a time. Why do you actually need three? And anyway, why did you need one? So, but God is powerful. He can give you three Rolls Royces if you, for some reason, need them. I can't quite actually work out when that would ever be. Um, Okay, up in that corner, healing ministry at 8am. Over in this corner, uh, are we going to do corners? Yes, over this corner will be uh, the uh, uh, 10.30 morning congregation. Uh, over in the side there, well, that's really irregular, isn't it? I think the healing ministry 8.30 need to be in that corner. And over the side where Andrew is, we'll do the 5pm. Take your chairs. I think we need to be in groups of no more than, say, um, uh, well, how many have we got in our congregation? Three groups, that'll be better. Groups of no more than uh, uh, five. Okay? Just, uh, and just 10 minutes, and then uh, we'll sing a song and go to morning tea. So when you hear the piano starting or my voice coming back, round off the prayer time, and we're praying about the city of Sydney, we're praying about the ministry of the cathedral to the city of Sydney, we're praying about the congregation we're in and the needs of the Congo.